Day 7 of Totus Tuus' Novena for the Church in Europe With quotes from Blessed John Paul II's Apostolic Exhortation Ecclesia in Europa Serving the Gospel of Hope I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. The word which the Spirit speaks to the churches contains a judgment about their life. It concerns facts and forms of conduct. I know your works is the introduction which, like a refrain with minor variations, appears in the letters written to the seven churches. If those works prove positive, it is because they are the result of effort, constancy, endurance in trial and tribulation, poverty, fidelity in time of persecution, charity, faith and service. The letters can thus be read as the description of a church which, even more than proclaiming and celebrating the salvation which comes to her from the Lord, concretely lives it. In order to serve the gospel of hope, the Church in Europe is also called to follow the path of love. This path takes the form of a charity which evangelizes, a broad gamut of commitments in the service of others, and a decision for a generosity which is persevering and knows no limits. For every person, charity received and given is the primordial experience which gives rise to hope. Man cannot live without hope. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. The challenge for the Church in Europe today consists, therefore, in helping contemporary man to experience the love of God the Father and of Christ in the Holy Spirit through the witness of charity, which possesses an intrinsic power of evangelization. In the end, this is the real meaning of the Gospel, the good news meant for every human being. God first loved us, and Jesus has loved us to the end. Thanks to the gift of the Spirit, God's love is offered to believers, enabling them to become sharers in his own capacity to love. It becomes a powerful force in the heart of every disciple and in all the church. Precisely because it is a gift of God, charity becomes a commandment for everyone. To live in charity thus becomes good news, addressed to every person, and makes visible the love of God who abandons no one. In the last analysis, it means giving those who have lost their way real reasons for continuing to hope. It is the vocation of the Church as a credible sign, even if imperfect, of an existential and experiential love 
to lead men and women to an encounter with the love of God and Christ, who comes in search of them. The Church bears witness that she is the sign and instrument of communion with God and of unity among men, when individuals, families and communities live intensely the gospel of charity. In a word, our ecclesial communities are called to be true training grounds for communion. By its very nature, the witness of charity must extend beyond the confines of ecclesial communities and reach out to every person, so that love for everyone can become a stimulus to authentic solidarity in every part of society. When the Church is at the service of love, she also facilitates the growth of a culture of solidarity and thus helps to restore life to the universal values of human coexistence. In this context, we need to rediscover the authentic meaning of Christian volunteerism. Born of and continually nourished by faith, Christian volunteer work should combine professional skills and genuine love, impelling those engaged in it to lift their feelings of goodwill towards others to the heights of Christ's charity, to renew every day amid hard work and weariness their awareness of the dignity of every person, to search out people's needs and, where necessary, to set out on new paths where needs are greater but care and support weaker. The whole Church is called to give new hope to the poor. In the Church, to welcome and serve the poor means to welcome and serve Christ. Preferential love for the poor is a necessary dimension of Christian existence and service to the Gospel. To love the poor and to testify that they are especially loved by God means acknowledging that people have value in themselves, apart from their economic, cultural and social status, and helping them to make the most of their potential. There is a need, then, to confront the challenge of unemployment, which in many nations of Europe represents a grave blight on society. To this can be added the problems connected with the increase in migration. The Church is called to remember that labour constitutes a good for which society as a whole must feel responsible. While restating the ethical criteria which must guide the marketplace and the economy in scrupulous respect for the centrality of the human person, the Church will not fail to engage in dialogue with people involved in political life, unions and business. This dialogue should aim at building a Europe seen as a community of peoples and individuals, a community joined together in hope, not exclusively subject to the law of the marketplace, but resolutely determined to safeguard the dignity of the human person, also in social and economic relations. Due importance must also be given to the pastoral care of the sick, since sickness is a situation which raises fundamental questions about the meaning of life. In a prosperous and efficient society, in a culture characterized by idolatry of the body, dismissal of suffering and pain, and by the myth of perennial youth, the care of the sick is to be considered a priority. To this end, an appropriate pastoral presence needs to be ensured in the different places where the suffering are found, 
as for example through the committed work of hospital chaplains, members of volunteer associations and church-associated healthcare institutions, while on the other hand, support should be provided for the families of the sick. There is also a need for a suitable pastoral presence among medical and paramedical personnel in order to support them in their demanding vocation in the service of the sick. In their work, healthcare personnel daily render a noble service to life. They too are called to offer patients that special spiritual support which builds on the warmth of an authentic human contact. Finally, it cannot be forgotten that at times improper use is made of the goods of the earth. By failing in his mission of cultivating and caring for the land with wisdom and love, man has, in fact, devastated woodlands and plains in many regions, polluted bodies of water, made the air unbreathable, upset hydrogeological and atmospheric systems, and caused the desertification of vast areas. In this case, too, rendering service to the gospel of hope means committing ourselves in new ways to a proper use of the goods of the earth, encouraging that sense of concern which, in addition to safeguarding natural habitats, defends the quality of the life of individuals and thus prepares for future generations an environment more in harmony with the Creator's plan. The Church in Europe, at every level, must faithfully proclaim anew the truth about marriage and the family. She sees this as a burning need, for she knows that this task is integral to the mission of evangelization, entrusted to her by her bridegroom and Lord, and imposes itself today with unusual force. Many cultural, social and political factors are in fact conspiring to create an increasingly evident crisis of the family. In varying ways, they jeopardize the truth and dignity of the human person and call into question, often misrepresenting it, the notion of the family itself. The value of marital indissolubility is increasingly denied. Demands are made for the legal recognition of de facto relationships as if they were comparable to legitimate marriages, and attempts are made to accept a definition of the couple in which difference of sex is not considered essential. In this context, the Church is called to proclaim with renewed vigour what the Gospel teaches about marriage and the family, in order to grasp their meaning and value in God's saving plan. In particular, it is necessary to reaffirm that these institutions are realities grounded in the will of God. There is a need to rediscover the truth about the family as an intimate communion of life and love, open to the procreation of new persons as well as its dignity as a domestic church and its share in the mission of the church and in the life of society. According to the Synod Fathers, recognition is due to the many families who, in the simplicity of a daily existence lived in love, are visible witnesses of the presence of Jesus who accompanies and sustains them with the gift of his Spirit. In order to support their journey, it will be necessary to enrich the theology and spirituality of marriage and family life, to proclaim with firmness and integrity, and to demonstrate by convincing examples 
the truth and the beauty of the family founded upon marriage, and understood as a stable and fruitful union of a man and a woman, and to promote in every ecclesial community an adequate and integrated program of pastoral care for the family. At the same time, the Church will need, with maternal concern, to provide assistance to those who are in difficult situations, such as single mothers, the separated, the divorced and abandoned children. In all events, it will be necessary to encourage, assist and support families, both individually and in associations, who seek to play their proper role in the Church and in society, and to work for the promotion of genuine and adequate family policies on the part of individual states and the European Union itself. With respect to young people and engaged couples, particular attention must be given to providing education in love through special programs of preparation for the celebration of the sacrament of matrimony, of helping them to live chastely as they prepare for this moment. In her educational activity, the Church must also demonstrate a concern to provide guidance and support to newly married couples after the celebration of their wedding. Finally, the Church is also called to be present with maternal affection to those marital situations which could easily appear hopeless. In particular, with regard to the large number of broken families, the Church feels called not to express a harsh, detached judgment, but rather to let the light of God's Word, accompanied by the witness of His mercy, shine deep within so many tragic human situations. This is the spirit in which the pastoral care of families must also address the situation of the faithful who are divorced and civilly remarried. They are not excluded from the community. Rather, they are encouraged to share in its life while undertaking a journey of grace in the spirit of the Gospel's demands. The Church, while not concealing from them the truth about the objective moral disorder of their situation and its consequences for sacramental practice, wishes to show to them all her maternal closeness. If serving the gospel of hope calls for giving adequate attention and priority to the family, it is equally the case that families themselves have an irreplaceable responsibility for the gospel of hope. With confidence and affection, then, I renew my invitation to all Christian families living on this continent of Europe. Families, become what you are, you are a living sign of God's love. Indeed, you have a mission to guard, reveal and communicate love. And this is a living reflection of and a real sharing in God's love for humanity and the love of Christ the Lord for the Church, His Bride. You are a sanctuary of life, the place in which life, the gift of God, can be properly welcomed and protected against the many attacks to which it is exposed, and can develop in accordance with what constitutes authentic human growth. You are the foundation of society, as the primary locus for the humanization of individuals in society, a model for the establishment of social relations lived out in love and in solidarity. Be credible witnesses to the gospel of hope. For you yourselves 
are gaudium et spes. The growing age and declining population in various European countries cannot fail to be a cause of concern. The falling birth rate is in fact symptomatic of a troubled relationship with our own future. It is a clear indication of a lack of hope and a sign of the culture of death present in contemporary society. Together with a decline in the birth rate, mention should be made of other factors that have obscured the sense of the value of life and led to a kind of conspiracy against life. Sadly, among these factors must be numbered, first of all, the spread of abortion. Also through the use of chemical pharmaceutical preparations, which make abortion possible without the involvement of the physician, and in a way detached from any form of social responsibility. This is favoured by the fact that the legal systems of many European countries contain legislation permitting an act which remains an abominable crime and which always constitutes a grave moral disorder. Mention must also be made of attacks involving forms of intervention on human embryos which, although carried out for purposes legitimate in themselves, inevitably involve the killing of those embryos or the incorrect use of prenatal diagnostic techniques which are placed at the service not of early detection and possible treatment, but of a eugenic intention which accepts selective abortion. We must also mention the presence of a tendency in certain parts of Europe to consider it permissible to make a conscious decision to end one's own life or that of another human being. The result is the spread of covert or even openly practised euthanasia, the legalisation of which is often sought and tragically at times achieved. Given this state of affairs, it is necessary to serve the gospel of life through a general mobilization of consciences and a united ethical effort to activate a great campaign in support of life. Altogether, we must build a new culture of life. This is the great challenge which we must accept as our responsibility in the certainty that the future of European civilization greatly depends on the resolute defence and promotion of the life-giving values which are the core of its cultural patrimony. This means restoring to Europe her true dignity as a place where every person is affirmed in his or her incomparable dignity. I gladly make my own these words of the Synod Fathers. The Synod of European Bishops encourages Christian communities to become evangelizers of life. It encourages Christian couples and families to support one another in fidelity to their mission as cooperators with God in the generation and education of new creatures. It values every generous effort to react to a selfishness in the area of transmitting life, encouraged by false models of security and happiness. It asks the states of the European Union to enact far-sighted policies aimed at fostering concrete conditions of housing, employment and social services suitable for favouring the establishment of families and enabling them to respond to the call to parenthood and also to assure today's Europe of its most precious resource, the Europeans of tomorrow. 
a charity which bears fruit in works, makes us committed to hastening the coming of the future kingdom. It therefore cooperates in promoting the authentic values which are the basis of a civilization worthy of man. As the Second Vatican Council recalled, Christians, on pilgrimage towards the heavenly city, should seek and savour the things which are above. This duty in no way decreases, but rather increases, the weight of their obligation to work with all people in building a more human world. Our expectation of new heavens and a new earth, far from withdrawing us from history, intensifies our concern for the present life, which even now contains that newness which is the seed and the sign of the world yet to come. Inspired by these certainties of faith, let us strive to build a city worthy of man. Though it is impossible to create within history a perfect social order, we know that God blesses every single effort to build a better world, and that every seed of justice and love planted in the present will bear fruit for eternity. In building a city worthy of man, a guiding role should be played by the Church's social teaching. Through this teaching, the Church challenges the continent of Europe about the moral quality of its civilization. This social doctrine arises from the encounter of the biblical message and human reason, on the one hand, and on the other, with the problems and situations involving individual and social life. By the body of principles which it sets forth, the Church's social doctrine helps lay solid foundations for a humane coexistence in justice, peace, freedom and solidarity. Because it is aimed at defending and promoting the dignity of the human person, which is the basis not only of economic and political life, but also of social justice and peace, this doctrine proves capable of upholding the supporting structures of Europe's future. It contains points of reference which make it possible to defend the moral structure of freedom so as to protect European culture and society both from the totalitarian utopia of justice without freedom and from the utopia of freedom without truth which goes hand in hand with a false concept of tolerance. Both utopias portend errors and horrors for humanity as the recent history of Europe sadly attests. Because of its intrinsic connection with the dignity of the human person, the Church's social doctrine is also capable of being appreciated by those who are not members of the community of believers. It is urgent, then, that this doctrine be better known and studied, and that more and more Christians become familiar with it. The new Europe now being built demands this, since it requires individuals formed in these values and disposed to working for the attainment of the common good. This will require the presence of Christian lay faithful, who, by their various responsibilities in civic life, the economy, culture, health care, education and politics, are able by their activities to imbue these spheres with the values of the kingdom. The challenges presently facing our service of the gospel of hope include the growing phenomenon of immigration, which calls on the Church's ability to welcome each person, regardless of the people or nation to which he or she belongs. 
This phenomenon is also prompting European society and its institutions as a whole to seek a just order and forms of coexistence, capable of respecting everyone, as well as the demands of legality within a feasible process of integration. If we consider among the causes which lead many to leave their own land, the state of extreme poverty, underdevelopment and insufficient freedom which unfortunately still characterises various countries. There is a need for courageous commitment on the part of all to bring about a more just international economic order, capable of promoting the authentic development of every people and country. The phenomenon of migration challenges Europe's ability to provide for forms of intelligent acceptance and hospitality. A universal vision of the common good demands this. We need to broaden our gaze to embrace the needs of the entire human family. The phenomenon of globalization itself calls for openness and sharing if it is not to be a source of exclusion and marginalization, but rather a basis for solidarity and the sharing of all in the production and exchange of goods. Everyone must work for the growth of a mature culture of acceptance, which, in taking into account the equal dignity of each person and the need for solidarity with the less fortunate, calls for the recognition of the fundamental rights of each immigrant. Public authorities have the responsibility of controlling waves of migration with a view to the requirements of the common good. The acceptance of immigrants must always respect the norms of law and must therefore be combined where necessary with a firm suppression of abuses. There is also a need for commitment in identifying possible forms of genuine integration on the part of immigrants who have been legitimately received into the social and cultural fabric of the different European nations. This demands not yielding to indifference regarding universal human values and a concern for safeguarding the cultural patrimony proper to each nation. Peaceful coexistence and the exchange of mutual interior riches will make it possible to build a Europe capable of becoming a home for everyone, in which each person can be welcomed and none will suffer discrimination, where all people are treated responsibly and can live responsibly as members of a single great family. On her part, the Church is called to continue her activity in creating and continually improving her services of welcome and her pastoral attention for immigrants and refugees in order to ensure respect for their dignity and freedom and to promote their integration. In particular, specific pastoral care needs to be given to the integration of Catholic immigrants with respect for their cultural and their distinct religious traditions. To this end, Contacts should be encouraged between the churches in their native countries and those to which they have migrated, in order to study forms of assistance which could include the presence among immigrants of priests, consecrated men and women, and properly trained pastoral workers from their own countries. The service of the gospel also requires the church, in defending the cause of the oppressed and excluded, to call on the political authorities of the different states and the leaders of European institutions to grant refugee status to those who have left their country of origin because of threats to their life, to help them return to their countries, and to create conditions favouring respect for the dignity of all immigrants and the defence of their fundamental rights.
the appeal to exercise an act of charity, which the Synod Fathers addressed to all the Christians of the European continent, represents the happy synthesis of an authentic service of the Gospel of Hope. I now propose it anew to you, the Church of Christ in Europe. The joys and hopes, the sorrows and anxieties of contemporary Europeans, especially the poor and the suffering, must also be your joys and your hopes, your sorrows and your anxieties. May nothing which is genuinely human lack an echo in your heart. Look upon Europe and upon its future with the sympathy of one who appreciates every positive element. Yet do not close your eyes to all that is inconsistent with the gospel and announce it forcefully. Church in Europe, welcome every day with renewed freshness the gift of charity which your Lord offers to you and enables you to accept. Learn from him the content and the measure of love. Be the Church of the Beatitudes, constantly conform to Christ. Free from all forms of hindrance and dependency, be poor yourself and a friend to the poor, welcoming every person and attentive to all forms of poverty, both old and new. Continuously purified by the Father's goodness, see in the attitude of Christ, who always defended the truth, yet still showed mercy towards sinners, the supreme norm of all your actions. In Jesus, at whose birth peace was proclaimed, in him whose death broke down the walls of enmity and brought true peace, be a builder of peace. Encourage your sons and daughters to allow their hearts to be purified of all hostility, selfishness and partisanship, and to favour at all times mutual dialogue and respect. In Jesus, who is the justice of God, never grow weary of denouncing injustice in all its forms. Living in the world with the values of the kingdom to come, you will be a church of charity, and you will make your indispensable contribution to the building in Europe of a civilization ever more worthy of man. Let us pray. Mary, Mother of Hope, walk with us. Teach us to proclaim the living God. Help us to witness to Jesus, the only Saviour. Make us helpful towards our neighbours, welcoming to the needy, workers for justice, impassioned builders of a more just world. Intercede for us as we carry out our work in history, certain that the Father's plan will be accomplished. dawn of a new world, show yourself, mother of hope, and watch over us, watch over the church in Europe, that she may be transparent to the gospel, that she may be an authentic place of communion, living out her mission 
of announcing, celebrating and serving the gospel of hope for the peace and joy of everyone. Queen of Peace, protect humanity in the third millennium. Watch over all Christians. May they advance confidently on the path of unity as a leaven for the harmony of the continent. Watch over young people, the hope of the future. May they respond generously to the call of Jesus. Watch over the leaders of nations. May they be committed to building a common home in which the dignity and rights of every person are respected. Mary, give us Jesus. Help us to follow him and love him. He is the hope of the Church, of Europe and of all humanity. He lives with us in our midst in his Church. With you we say, Come, Lord Jesus. May the hope of glory which he has poured into our hearts bear fruits of justice and peace. Amen. St. Benedict, pray for us. St. Bridget of Sweden, pray for us. St. Catherine of Siena, pray for us. St. Cyril and Methodius, pray for us. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.